The Persian king had issued a decree that that Jews could go back into Jerusalem now and they could rebuild the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And so Zerubbabel goes in. The first thing he does is he rebuilds the altar so that sacrifices could be done once again. And then they begin to lay the foundation. It had been two years that they were working on it. And all of a sudden, they call the people together as King David had instructed to dedicate the foundation of the new temple, of Zerubbabel's temple. And we have both weeping and rejoicing. We have sorrow and we have joy. And dear church, it's a generation gap, isn't it? The old folks, they're weeping. Why? Because in this generation gap, we have, in fact, would you show the picture, Travis, of the, of the two temples? Solomon's temple was grand. It was glorious. It was beautiful. It was marked with gold and, and beautiful stonework. I don't know if that shows up well. Zerubbabel's temple was pretty basic. It was plain. It was ordinary. It certainly was nothing like Solomon's temple. And so the generation gap comes in what they both remember and what they both realize. The older generation, they remembered King Solomon's temple. They remember the gold, the grandeur, the glory of King Solomon's temple. It was so beautiful. It was, it was, it was, it was wonderful. They remember the glory, the grandeur, the gold of King Solomon's temple. But the younger generation, all they remembered was isolated captivity in Babylon. They remembered their loneliness. They remembered that they did not have a place ever to worship. They never were able to worship in the temple. That's what they remembered. The older generation, after remembering the grandeur of King Solomon's temple, they also realized now that the temple would never be the same. That the glory, the gold... The beauty, the majesty was never going to be the same in the temple. But what did the realization of a young generation, what was that? They realized this was a new day full of opportunity. No longer were they captives. Now they could worship their one true living God in freedom. You see the generation gap? As they both remembered and realized certain truths. They approached it totally different. One group rejoicing, one group weeping for what used to, been, used to have been. There was a huge generation gap revealed to us here. This morning, I, I kind of want to do something different, something out of the ordinary that, that we normally don't do. I, I, I want to take this topic of generation gap, and I want to wrestle with it a little bit. Because here's what happens, dear church. We're talking about love strong. We've been talking about loving one another well, strong. We're talking about loving one another because we recognize that God loves all of us the same. God sent his son to die for each and every one of us. He loves us absolutely, wholly, and unconditionally. And that's the way we're called to love one another. But there is a thing that gets in the way even today, much like it did back then. A generation gap. And I'll be honest with you, beloved. I've heard both sides. I've heard a younger generation go, they don't understand. They're stuck in the old ways. They don't understand what it's like today. And I've heard others go, those young folks, how come they just don't do it our way? How come they, they have to be like that? Why? Well, if they're going to do that, well, they, I've heard both. And sadly, beloved, I've heard it in this church family. 
I think this is very important for us to discuss this this morning. Because if we really want to love strong, we need to love through the generations. Amen? Are you with me? So let's talk about the generation that we have in front of us today. The different generations. Because there was a generation gap in Israel, and there definitely are generation gaps today. And so what I want to do is very quickly reveal to you the six generations that we have in front of us today. The, the two generations on either end, one is disappearing quickly and one is evolving quickly. But nonetheless, we have six basic generations. I've done a lot of study this week, and, and, and you're going to hear about this again next week as we seek to fill the generation gap. But we start with the, an older generation, those who are known as the GI generation, also known as the greatest generation. Born between 1901 and 1924, there are about 18 million, if that, and, and declining very, very quickly. These, who, uh, these were people who were teenagers during the Great Depression, and they fought in World War II. Their depression was the great one, their war was the big one, and their prosperity was the legendary happy days, right? They saved the world by winning a war, and then they built a great nation, the greatest generation. They're team players. They're community-minded. They have a strong sense of personal civic duty, and so they vote. They vote. They're strong in loyalty. They're loyal to their spouses, to their jobs, to their nation. They're, they're those who are very loyal, and they have personal morality. They have high morality. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. To them, marriage is for life, end of discussion. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, you will remain married, end of discussion. They are those who say having children out of marriage is wrong, Divorce is wrong, and they have absolute standards of right and wrong. These are timeless absolutes. They would hold to, and they would say anybody else should hold to them. These are absolutes. They're not, they're not relative truths. They're, they're total truths that we must buy, we must hold to. They're the GI generation, the greatest generation. Then you move from them to the next generation. It's the, the silent generation, also called the matures these are those who roughly have been born between 1925 and 1942. They are also on the decline. There are probably about 41 million left in the United States. These are called the silent generation because they were too young to fight in World War II. And by the time the, the free love movement, the flower power stuff came, they were too old for that. And so they're called the silent generation because... They didn't really go through much like that. And so mainly they, they took on their parents, the, the previous generation's absolute truths. Conformity became their rule. They, they lived to conform. They felt that conformity meant success. And so whatever rules were handed to you, you conformed to their rules. They were disciplined, self-sacrificing, very cautious, and they, too, were loyal, loyal to the company, loyal to the corporation. They, uh, men worked at one job for their whole life. Seriously. 
Some of you young generations, listen to that. They worked at one job their whole life. They got a job and they stuck with it clear till they retired. Women stayed home to raise kids. They weren't in the workforce. There were a few women who would work, but mainly in those jobs that were back then considered to be jobs geared toward women, nursing and stuff like that. Therefore, because of their hard work, because the men stayed in one job, loyal to that job, they now are the richest generation in their retirement. They are a generation that right now can afford to do no work at all. They have saved, they have worked, they were loyal, they were faithful, they built up an account, and now they can relax. Something that probably is not going to happen the same from now on. These are the the ones that, again, were married for life, like the GIs. They see divorce and having children out of wedlock as wrong. And their values were transgenerational again. Their truths, they they were something that should be passed on to the next generation. These are the, the matures or the silent generation. Then we have the baby boomers. We hear a lot about the boomers. They were the ones that uh, at, until now were the biggest generation. 79 million baby boomers born after World War II ended. And they thrived. They were prosperous in America. They are also known as the me generation. The me generation. They lived under such prosperity that it was easy to focus on me. They became, uh, according to some uh, resources I looked at, they were self-righteous and self-centered. What? Some of you are complaining. You're looking daggers at me, huh? Because you fall into that and you're going, that ain't me. This is also called, I thought this was kind of cool, the rock and roll generation, right? Rock and roll was invented during their formative years. In this group, though, you'll notice the time frame, 20 years about, over 20 years. And so this generation is often divided into two groups. There were those who were the Save the World revolutionaries of the 60s and 70s, the free love movement, the the opposed Vietnam movement. And then there were those who were the climbing career yuppies of the 70s and the 80s. They were the ones that got the high-paying job, you know, and they'd party on the weekends and then go to work during the rest of the week in their BMW, convertible, by the way, with their really cool shirts and stuff. They, uh, the, the first group, uh, as I mentioned, they protested the Vietnam War. They thought of nonviolent protests that often turned into pro- uh, violent protests. They have a strong desire to change or to reset the common value for the good of all people. Their focus is the good of all people. They're looking at the common good. And therefore, they began to accept alternate lifestyles at this stage. Homosexuality began to be accepted in this generation. The yuppies, the double-income families, now became those families where women just didn't stay in the home. They now got careers outside of the home. That was the big thing then, to get double-income coming in. And this will have an effect, as we shall see, on the next generation. But, but the women now worked outside the home. They were the first generation to have their kids raised in a 2 income household they were those that were under omnipresent parents and other parents in other words parents that were involved in their lives and then now they became uninvolved parents even some parents who were at home were still absent 
parents. And we got the term absent parents during this generation. They were the first TV generation. TV came to its full bloom, and when they were born, it was already in existence, and they, that's all they knew was TV. They didn't know anything different. They didn't know uh, that there was never a time that TV didn't exist. Therefore, they embraced technology and innovation. They were up on news and current events. They even saw videos of the fighting going on in Vietnam, which was a first. And so they, they knew what was happening. But they were also the first generation to really see divorce as a tolerable reality, as something that was accepted and, and, and understood to be something that, that one went through. And so while we had to, you had double incomes coming in, money coming in, they lost touch with husband and wife and became the first generation that really accepted and, and gave in to divorce. And then you have this fourth generation, the Gen Xers. Now, I've got to be honest with you, I kind of don't know where I fit. I was born in 64, and so I'm kind of stuck between Boomer and, and Gen X, although I think I relate a little bit more to Gen X because I, I don't know why, but, uh, but that's, that's where I'm at. So the Gen Xers, they were the ones who witnessed the AIDS epidemic, the rise of AIDS, because again, in the previous generation, alternate lifestyles, including homosexuality, was okayed, and therefore you had such thing as AIDS epidemic. They saw the fall of the Berlin Wall, which is, I remember watching, uh, I think I was in middle school, high school, I can't remember. Anyway, I watched it on TV, I remember that. They were latchkey kids. Remember that both parents were working, the previous generation. And so they got the name Latchkey Kids because they would go to school and they would have the key to their house around their neck on a chain, typically, so that they would go home, unlock the door, and be home alone until mom or dad came home from work. So they were known as the latchkey kids. And as a result, because they were often home alone after school, they were very individualistic, very skeptical, and very self-reliant. They learned to do it themselves. Mom and dad weren't around much, and so they did it on their own. And they became skeptical, especially of those who would try to help them do it, right? Because they've learned to do it alone. Me do it. Only they were older than two. They are so individualistic. I thought, I thought this was very interesting. They were so individualistic that they do not believe that they are a generation. I mean, they don't call themselves. They think they're not a generation. In other words, they, they say John, the reason why they're called Generation X is because they refuse to be labeled. They're individual. I don't meet with anybody else. I'm on my own. I'm self-reliant. So they're cynical toward government. They started thinking of individual rights rather than the common good. And you know, we hear a lot about individual rights today, don't we, in our political system? We have individual rights, and they focused on... Prior to this, it was all the common good of the people. Now it becomes individual rights because they are individualistic, right? They are conversely shallow, because they're used to being isolated. Yes, while they were growing up, while I was growing up, TV uh, uh, or video games came into being. And I remember friends who had video games and we'd play Pong. Remember that? Don't, 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 don't. You just watch this ball. 
Now that's funny to, to young generations. But games started to come in, which made us even more individualistic. We didn't have to talk to anybody. We could just get on our TV and play Pong, you know? And, and, and so the, even though the rise of, of some video games came in, we still learned not to converse. And therefore, we were also those who had high divorce rates. In fact, um, they have relative truth and values. Because of the individualism, it's like what's right for me is what's right for me. And what's right for you is what's right for you. We're individuals. So let's just focus on what's right for me, and you can focus on what's right for you, and we'll just let it be, right? And so divorce rate jumped because, hey, I've fallen, quote, out of love, and therefore I'm going to divorce because it's what's right for me, right? Even though the spouse might be saying, but wait, it's not right for me. But see, it was, it was that. So, so there were relative. Truth now became relative. It, it, it became what's my truth is my truth. What's your truth? You, you, you claim that as your truth. We won't bother each other. That has affected our culture greatly. So we have this Generation X. And now we get to this generation that all people are against, right? The millennials. I say that jokingly, and I truly mean that jokingly. And i got to be honest with you, that is a huge pet peeve of mine right now. How we bad-mouth millennials. I hate it. I hate it. Listen to me. I hate it, and so should you, especially if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're called to love. I hate it. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. But the millennials now have come along. Those that have been born between 1980 and 2000, they are currently the largest generation ever in American history. At 83.1 million, I've heard statistics as high as up to 85 million in the United States right now. They are the largest generation in American history. They are even larger than the baby boomers were. Baby boomers were about 75, 76 million. They're 83.1 million. They have grown up with the internet evolving and September 11th has rocked their world and shaped their view of the world. September 11th, one of those life-changing things for all of us, but especially for those who are growing up in their formative years. They are nurtured by omnipresent and very, very uh, optimistic parents. It's very interesting because generation has switched. Generation X saw that they didn't have parents at home much, and so they became parents that hovered. They were the helicopter parents who hovered over these millennials, and they were very, very involved in their lives. Go to their baseball games. Get them in this, get them in that, and I'm there, and I'm always watching, and I'm there to encourage and support. They were always hovering. And the problem is, we gripe at the millennials, but the real truth is, it's their parents that made them that way. <laughs> okay? So you got to understand that generations produce generations, okay? So don't get upset at the millennials. They're just a product of their previous generation. So the parents hovered over them. They told them they were special, and they come to believe it. So yes, they feel like they're entitled, but it's because their parents told them they are, and it's because their parents bought them everything their hearts desired. Right, Kara and Courtney? 
right? We bought you everything your little hearts desired. Oh, no pony, though. Sorry, no pony. So the millennials, they, 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 they have been told that they're special, therefore they actually feel special. They feel like they should be treated special. But here's the interesting thing. They feel tremendous academic pressure, and they have self-imposed expectations that they place upon themselves. They are stressed out. I love it because I have a daughter-in-law and she is into learning about millennials and I've been especially focused in on millennials over the last year or so just, just trying to go, okay, if, the, if this is the up-and-coming church, how do we love on them? How do we disciple them? How do we equip them? And so she and I have this relationship, and, and, and she loves to study. And so we were talking one time, and I said, I said Ashley, what, what do you want out of life? Because she's a millennial, and I'm just trying to find out from her. And she goes, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I kind of kept probing. Okay, so do you, do you, you know, what, what is your goal in life? Well, here, and, and I'm not kidding you, here's what she said. I want to have impact. I want to have impact. And because of the internet, this world is small to millennials. I mean, they can get online and they can see what's going on in China, you know, and know what's going on there. And so the world is very small. And so when she says impact, she's not talking about impact in her community or even in this nation. She's talking about worldwide impact. So I pursue it. I said, so, so does that mean like impact as being a stay-at-home mom where you raise kids who love Jesus and serve him? Well, yeah, but I want more impact than that. Like, okay, so does that mean, along with that, getting involved in a, in a career where you help people? She's been in the medical field before, and thought, well, maybe that's what she likes. And, and she goes, yeah, but still more than that. And I walked away going, I don't know what you want, girl. And then I came, and I read a, 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 an article on millennials, and that's the biggest thing they say. We want to have an impact. I think that's pretty cool, don't you? We want to have an impact. My generation, we wanted to have success, right? We wanted to be successful. We wanted to have lots of money and, and this, that. And we wanted success. But here's a generation that's going, no, I want to have significance. I, I want to have impact. I think that's pretty cool, personally. So this generation is wanting impact, they are told that they're special, therefore, they feel like they have to be special. They, they schedule everything and aren't afraid to say no, which some of us who want them to serve uh, like we did in the church, we might say that's frustrating. But here's the interesting thing. They don't live to work like previous generations have. I mean, they will work, but they want their work to have impact. They don't want to just earn money that's not good enough. They, they want to do something at work. They want to work with a team. They are focused on purpose. They're focused on people. They're not focused on a paycheck. They don't care if they have to live in a, in a very low-income house. That doesn't matter to them because they want impact. They are savvy to marketing. And I love this about the, the, the millennials. Therefore, they know when somebody is out to take their money. It's good. But what that also means is they're really tuned in to authenticity. 
They know when somebody's faking to be their friend for the purpose of getting money from them as opposed to when somebody truly is authentic and genuine in front of them. I love that. And so what they do in the church is they ask questions. They don't accept. Are you ready for this? You might get mad at me, but the truth is they don't accept the Christian pat answers. They want to know, how does this look? What is this, what is this like in my life? How come I'm not experiencing the, the blessing of God, at least materially? How come? They want to know the answers. And the truth is, beloved, when they ask questions like that, they're not debating your faith or our faith. They just really want honesty. They want authenticity. They want answers that wrestle with reality that they are experiencing. And I love it about them. I think that's right on. I don't think we reach a world for Jesus Christ unless we get real with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think this is good. I'm really beefing them up because I've done most of my study on millennials. But they have strong views. Um, And anyway, also note this. 85% of babies born now are born to millennials. They're becoming parents. Which means we have yet another generation, and I need to get through it real quick. Generation Z, or the I generation, because of the technology. This is the first generation that is growing up with technology. They, they, They have seen it all from the time they're born. And I'll tell you what, you give this little tablet to my two year old grandson, he knows how to play games on it. I mean, he does, I'm serious, doesn't he? He knows how to play games on a tablet. This is not new to him. In fact, if you want him, if you want your phone fixed, ask your two-year-old grandson. No, not, not quite that much. But, but they are a generation now growing up in this technology. And, and, and some of the statistics are out on these, but these kids were the first born with the Internet. They're suspected to be the most individualistic and technology-dependent generation. They are referred to as the I-generation because of that. They have technology, internet, cell phones. Listen to this. Four million already of this generation have cell phones. Isn't that crazy? They know smartphones. They have them. They have instant information. They can create and edit a document. Those who are older in this generation, they can create and edit a document, post a photo on Instagram, and talk on the phone all simultaneously. I can't even walk and text at the same time. So they are this generation that's growing up that, are, that leaders are with downstairs. They're, they're loving on your kids, but these are the kids that we're talking about. See, we have generation gaps. That's all I'm trying to say. And listen, I, I'm going to use a term that, um, uh, oh goodness, I forget his first name. Eggerlish is his last name. Uh, uh, love and Respect. Love and respect. Have you ever seen that? I can't think of it. Steve? Is it Steve Agerlish? Nobody's helping me out. I'm sinking here and you're not helping me. (laughs) Agerlish is his last name. He does love and respect. He says this about the two different genders, male and female. He says, yes, they're not wrong, just different. And I love that. And I want to use that when we talk about generations. Generations are different. We have different generations. They have different points of view. They have different ways of doing things. They have a different view of the world. Not wrong, 
just different. So what are we going to do about it? How do we bridge this gap? How do, we, how do we bring together generations? Because dear brothers and sisters, that's what we are. I love it. Uh, Bob and I were talking this morning before we prayed about this. And, 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 and we were talking about the different generations. And, and, and we were asking questions and, and talking through it. And, and Bob leaned over to me during the worship time. And he goes, I got it. And I love this. Listen to this because this is right on. He goes, in Christ Jesus... We're all one generation. In Christ Jesus, we are one. Yes, we might have different views, different opinions, different ways of doing things because we're different ages, but in Christ Jesus, we are one. So I say, let's bridge the generation gap. And you may say, but Pastor Jeff, how are we going to do it? And I'll tell you this, it's through love. Let love bridge the generation gap. Let it fill the generation gap that is there. And I'm going to say this based on two things today, and then next week we're going to talk more about it as Keenan comes and joins me, and we do kind of a, a discussion together, a biblical discussion uh, in front of you all next week, okay? But I want to tell you why love is to fill the generation gap. What is it? And before I get there, I want to give you an example. I, I was meeting Matthew back here, and he was a youth pastor, and, and I was telling him, I couldn't do youth ministry anymore. But there was a day when I was a youth pastor. Long, long time ago in a land far, far away, I was a youth pastor. And I worked with teens, and I loved working with teens. Now it scares me to death to work with you teens. I love you. Anyway, I won't go there. Um, so so in, our, in our youth ministry, we started this thing we called the Turkey Bowl. And it was where we went out and we played flag football every Thanksgiving morning. We got the kids out of the, the, the students out of the house so mom and dad could get Thanksgiving ready and stuff. And we just went and played flag football. It was a blast. Now I'm sure I'd break everything in my body if I tried it, but it was a blast then. And it got to this point where, where other people from the church, other guys and some gals wanted to come play with us. And so one year I remember in particular, we opened it up to anybody in the church that wanted to come play at our turkey bowl. We even had a, had a trophy that we made. It was ugly, it was gross, but it was the coveted turkey bowl trophy that went to the team who won at flag football. Well, I remember uh, we were announcing it and, and I was in the church and, and this man came up to me. He was probably one of the silent generations, matures. He, he was probably about 60, 65 at the time. And he goes, can anybody come play? And I'm thinking, oh no, I don't want you to die. I, I don't know if I should say yes or not, because I'm thinking, this guy's old. Now, some of you are 60, 65. I don't think that's old anymore because I'm getting close to that. So it's not as old as it once was. But at that time, I thought, I don't want this guy dying while we're playing football. So I gingerly said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to meet at this time. And, you know, but, but we're going to have enough people that if you need to take a rest, you know, we usually kind of rotate in. And I'm thinking, I don't want. Anyway, so he shows up and he was phenomenal. He was amazing. He was throwing the football, catching the football. The kids just flocked to this guy, he, older guy. He ended up working with us on youth staff. And I'll tell you what, he had a ministry to those teens. Oh, he loved them. Oh, my goodness. Irv always did this. It wasn't the thumb clear up. It was kind of like this. And so the teens did started doing this to each other instead of the thumb up. Irv started that. 
And Irv was diabetic, so he always had candy bar, little tiny Snickers. And so he'd hand that to kids as they came in, and they loved him for it. He knew how to play basketball. He, he tried to teach me how, how to play basketball. And I'm the only one laughing there because I remember what that was like. I'm not a basketball player. But anyway, he tried to teach me to play basketball. Irv got involved with teenagers, 60, 65 years older. And they loved him to death. And you know why? Because he loved them to death. Oh, he was concerned about them. He didn't chuck them off as a young generation that needs to just get lost. He got involved in their lives. He led Bible studies with them. When he, he helped him, he helped coach the high school basketball girls team. And, and the coach was another guy that came to our church. And together they would pray with those teenage girls on the team. It was phenomenal. He had incredible ministry. Why? Because he allowed love to fill the generation gap. And I want to tell you, we need to let love fill the generation gap. And I'm not just talking from older to younger. I'm talking younger to older. Because young people, you're almost as bad. I said almost. No, actually you're as bad. Because you chalk off old people as they don't understand, they don't know, they're out of touch, right? They don't have any answers. They don't get me. So I'm not talking to one generation over and above another. I'm just saying we need to let love fill it. And now let me give you two quick reasons why, and we'll finish and then follow next week. And the first reason is this. We need to let love fill the generation gap because God faithfully loves all generations. He faithfully loves all generations. I want to read to you Psalm 100, verse 5. Listen to what it says. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. There's many other passages of Scripture that I could read to you. But you know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't just love the GI generation, the greatest generation. He loved the world. He loved all the inhabitants of the world from history past to history future. He loves the world, which includes all generations. His faithful love is toward all generations. And brother and sister in Christ, if God loves all generations, then you and I should. And we could end there, right? We'll talk more about this later. But the second reason is that when we get involved in other generations, not only do we grow from it, but when we seek to help other generations grow in the Lord, it is the greatest act of love or one of the greatest act of love we can do. See, the scripture throughout the pages of especially the Old Testament, it calls one generation to pass God's truth on to the next generation. And in fact, if you get more specific, it's moms and dads are called to pass God's word on to the next generation. See, it goes from generation to generation. Let me read to you Psalm 78 and verse 4. The, the author says, we will not hide them. That is, the words of God. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them 
the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commands. See, brothers and sisters, it is up to this generation to pass the truths of God on to the next. And when we pass the truths of God on to another generation, we are acting in love. You see, you have two choices today. Either you can continue griping and complaining and belly aching about the generations ahead of you or behind you. You could do that. I pray you won't. I pray next time you're starting to say something nasty about a generation either ahead of you or in front of you or behind you that you stop and you bite your tongue. And that you remember we're to love. We're to love. And instead of complaining about that generation, I ask you to get on your knees and pray for that generation. And even beyond that, I ask you to get alongside that generation and help equip them in the Word of God. Help them know Jesus Christ more. Help them in their walk with Christ. That's what it looks like to love in between the generations. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week. So some of you aren't going to be here, are you? I pray you'll be here. I'm really looking forward to it. Keenan is going to join me, and we're going to be up here, and we're just going to kind of answer and talk through some questions. And, and, and one of the things I've got to do before we go is ask you, if you have not filled out the generational survey, which we have on our website then would you please do so? And either if you're, you know, like Generation X and younger, you could go online and, and fill that out. If you're an older generation, you might want to do it hard copy. I, I'm just saying, some of you might be savvy enough to get online and you can do that. But if you want to do it hard copy, there's a hard copy in the, behind the last pew in the back of the middle here. And there's a box there to put these in right away. What we have done, how many, 45 or so? 49 have already filled it out, and it is fascinating to see how our church is structured generationally. And what's amazing, and I'll give you a little taste of next week, what's amazing is to see where we all agree, generationally speaking. And I love it. We are united, church. We are. We really are, and I want you to be encouraged that we are. And so please fill this out, either online or hard copy in the back, so that we can have this together for you by next week, okay? So here's the takeaway. Don't grumble love. Don't grumble. Instead, love the generations. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, we sang about it, how faithful you are to us, and we acknowledge that that is so true, and we know that, not simply because uh, we experience it all the time, which we do, but Father, we know it because your word says it's true, and so we believe it. And so, Father, we just thank you that you are loving to all. And Lord, I again would pray today that you would help us to love strong, even through the generations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.